I want you to turn with me uh, today. We finished the book of Philippians last time. And uh, what I had wanted to do was do something in the Old Testament. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I've been thinking about this for quite a few months. In fact, before I ever even started Philippians. And uh, I, I had thought for quite a long time to, uh, to do something with the minor prophets. And, and so that's what, I, what I'm thinking about doing what I'm planning on doing and, and kind of going back and forth between the minor prophets and, and the books of uh, the epistles of Paul. So we finished Philippians, so I'm going to do a minor prophet, then go back to Colossians and do Colossians and then go back to another minor prophet and then go do Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, and go back and forth like that. That's what my plan is right now, unless the Lord comes back for us in the meanwhile. A lot of the guys in our group are... Um, you know, they get through the whole Bible. I go so slow that I, I, I don't know if I'll ever get through every book of the Bible, to be honest with you, before I leave this earth. But I, I feel like it's at least important to kind of give you an idea of like what, an overview of like what the whole thing is about. And so um, turn to the index, though, first of all. You, you, you're, are you at the index? Who can tell me uh, how many books are in the Old Testament? Anybody know? How many are in the New Testament? How many are in the whole Bible? 66, right. Good. We have in the Old Testament 39. So how many would that leave for the New Testament? Come on, you math guys. You, you, you can do better than that. 27. Right, we have 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And how many, how many of you uh, kind of think about the Old Testament? And you, you know the New Testament. You know a lot of, about what Jesus you know, came to do and, and some of the things we just heard about as well. But when you think about the Old Testament, how many of you kind of think like, oh, it's kind of like mysterious. It's kind of like it's this book. You know, It's like, oh, you know, I know that it's important and everything. Well, really, I think that's why, you know, we study and we read in the Old Testament. I think, I think um, well, if you have a pencil, you can, you can write in your Bibles. And what I want you to do, there's really a breakdown of the Old Testament that, that I have found makes it very easy to kind of know the different sections. And the numbers are like this. How many of you remember, I taught this before a long time ago. How many of you remember the numbers? What are they? 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. That's pretty easy, right? Only two numbers to remember. 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. And that's, that equals 39 in the Old Testament, right? So if you put a little bracket around the first five books, there are Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy. That's the first five, right? And that section is called the five books of Moses or the law, okay? And that's really foundational about, uh, you know, we were talking about Genesis here in the little clip. It's very foundational, and I think... I think for us to at least read the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus to kind of know where it all came from, the beginnings. Genesis is the book of beginnings. Now, we're not going to study that now, but it's good to have that foundation. Where the people of Israel came from, where the nation of Israel came from. Jesus came out of the nation of Israel. Where did that all come from? So Genesis, Exodus, we did a study uh, not that long ago in the book of Numbers, um, and, and so we have the five books of Moses or the law, which gives us the standard, God's standard of holiness. So that's five, okay? Then 512, the next one is 12, and that's 
uh, from Joshua, you want to put a bracket around Joshua, all the way to Esther. See that? So that's 12. Uh, who knows what that category is? History, right. So it's kind of the history of the nation of Israel, basically. And it, gives, it fills in the background of what happened uh, with the nation of, Is, of Israel. And, you know, when I, when I broke these down into these numbers, I found that some, some of them are very easy. Like this number of 12 is very easy because there's, if you look at it, there's three that repeat, right? First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first Chronicles, second Chronicles. So you don't even have to, you don't even have to memorize 12. It's only nine, right? You say, I could never memorize all the books of the Bible. If I could do it, you can certainly do it as well. 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. So you already know the, the major numbers there already. How about the next group there, is, is, which would be a 5? And it starts in Job, and it goes where? Song of Songs. This is a 5. What's that category? Poetry, right. So we have the, the books of Moses or the law, then we have history, and then we have poetry, these five books of poetry. We have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. That's poetry. The next five, beginning with Isaiah and ending in Daniel, are what? The major prophets, right. So you can put a little bracket around that. And then, then obviously from Hosea all the way to Malachi are the minor prophets. 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. And, you know, the way I did it was, you know, the five, you just have to memorize them. And, but like with the, the last 12, I broke them into threes. And, and when you break them into little, little, little numbers that are easier to remember, um, we can... We can memorize the, the order of the books of the Bible because a lot of us never have taken the time to do that. And I think, I think we need to know where stuff is. I am not opposed, though, to uh, you know, knowing where your index is and going to look in there and finding where it is if you can't remember where a certain book is. I'd rather you do that than just uh, you know, pretend like, well, you know, or you're flipping through your Bible and then we've already read the verses and gone on to the next verses and you're still trying to find that little prophet that minor prophet. Now, let me ask you a question. If I'm going to do this study in the minor prophets, you know, again, we have these categories, but first let's do the first five. Do you, do you all have the first five memorized? Now look up from your Bibles. Can you say it with me if you have the first five memorized? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. See, that's very easy. You got five already. You're almost there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. You're almost there. You're Bible scholars already. Amazing. Now, we have these sections of the minor and the major prophets. Now, are the major prophets more important than the minor prophets? Why do they call them the major prophets, and why do they call them the minor prophets? Just the size, basically, yeah. It's just that the, the, the minor prophets were smaller, and they, so they grouped those together, and they, and they put the major prophets together, larger, longer, that kind of thing, and they grouped those together. So basically, see, you're already starting to understand, like, oh, I thought there, you know, I heard that term somewhere, the major prophets, a guy like Isaiah and 
guy like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. But I thought they were just like more important than these other guys, these guys that I can't, I can't even pronounce their names, like Habakkuk and Haggai or Haggai, as some people say. There's, there, there's 12 minor prophets, and, and um, I'm going to go through them very quickly, though. I'm not going to you know, you know, spend a lot of time, maybe a month on each of the minor prophets, then go to the New Testament book and come back. Because I, I just want you to get an overall view, an overview of who it is that is speaking, where they're coming from. So we're going to start today in the book of Hosea, right? That's the number one. You got your little brackets there. That's the number one of the minor prophets, right? Hosea. Why don't you go ahead and turn there? You got the page number there already for you. Hosea. How many of you have never read the book of Hosea? Never read the book of Hosea? It's, it's incredible. Um, you know, it's like, Hosea, like, who, who is he? Like, what's, why would I ever want to read that? You know, and I've read the book of Hosea many times, but as I began to study it and began to just kind of get the big picture of what it means and what it's all about, I think, I think you'll be amazed, as I was, that there is an incredible message found in the book of, of Hosea that, that God has given this to us. Now, Hosea was a prophet, right? And he was given words by God, and he was moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter tells us that, that the prophecies didn't come from the men themselves, but it says they were... They were carried along or they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, in the day that Hosea lived, Israel was a divided nation. How many of you know that? You know that Israel was a divided nation. Israel, you know, coming out of Egypt, right? You know the story, Egypt. Uh, they were, you all have seen the movie Ten Commandments, you know, let my people go. The nation of Israel comes out of the land of Egypt and goes to the promised land with Joshua and then they, you know, they, they uh, spread out in the promised land. At some later point in time, the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, they kind of split apart and you had two tribes in the south, right? And 10 tribes in the north. And so you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so when you read in the books of history, you, you read, you know, they're talking about the king of Israel. And then they're talking about the kings of Judah. That's why they're, they make that distinction, because there's, the kingdom has been divided because of, of separation and, and just for different reasons. You can read about that. So Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom, though his message certainly applied to both of them. And, and I really believe that his message applies to us today. Now, living at the same time as, as uh, Hosea, we're guys like Isaiah, guys like Amos and Jonah. We all know about Jonah and another guy named Micah, which we'll study about later on. Now, Hosea, one of the most interesting things about this prophet Hosea, and we do see it in the lives of some other prophets as well, is that he wasn't just writing a message, but he was like personally involved in this message, as you'll see in a minute why I say that. The message really kind of came directly out of his own life and his own experiences. He served for a long, long time 
from about 785 B.C. to 725, some say a little bit longer. Um, so in the 700s B.C. before Christ ever came. And the message of this book really is God's unrelenting love. God's unrelenting love. The picture in Hosea is of a faithful husband and an unfaithful wife and the, and the people of Israel who departed from the Lord. They would follow after other gods, after false gods. They would commit spiritual adultery. And yet the message here is that God was always calling them back. God was always calling them back and God is always calling us back. Somebody said this, despite God's judgment, the major purpose of the book is to proclaim God's compassion and love that cannot finally let Israel go. But God would never let them go. He would never stop. Despite the fact that they would leave him and commit spiritual adultery, going after false gods, even after all that God had done in their lives and in the nation of Israel. So let's go ahead and start reading this, this book um, again, we're going to go very quickly through the first few chapters here. Look at verse 1, Hosea chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Again, you see there the divided kingdom, the nation of Israel divided the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. See what I mean about the living sermon? He was actually involved in it. God told him, go marry this woman, this unfaithful woman, this adulterous woman, this woman of, of really not a very nice reputation. God asked him to do it. And, and sometimes, I think it's certainly true, sometimes God asks us to do things that we don't understand and he's going to bring something out of it. And that is certainly the truth here in the life of this, this man he, he, he was a prophet, yes, but he was just a man, just like we are humans. And God called on him and, and got him involved in this situation. And he married this woman named Gomer. Now, I think I, I have a little problem with marrying someone named Gomer myself. But if God asks you to marry someone named Gomer, if you want to be faithful to what God asks you to do, you're going to do it, right? Go marry Gomer. But Gomer is not a very nice person. Gomer is, a, is, is, is you know, got a very bad reputation, and, and it's, it's, this is not going to be a good thing. But God said, go marry this woman. They have children. It says she conceived and bore him a son. And then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. God told him the names for these three children that they would have. Some wonder maybe the two of the children weren't even his. 
but we're not totally sure about that. But they had names, and then, like the name of Jezreel, it really talked about judgment. It talked about, about being scattered, that the kingdom of Israel would, would be ended. Verse 6, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel that I, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. This Lo-Ruhu, you say it, Lo-Ruhu, funny, I can say the first part because in Hebrew, the, the, the word for no is low. And I remember a, a Zebi, uh, that was, for a long time, that was the only word that he could say in Hebrew, low. It's like, you know, kids, that's the first word they learn, right, is no. So the name of this second child is not loved. The third child, verse 8, after she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, call him Lo-Am-I, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. The third child, the name means not my people. So in the, in the lives, again, he's married this questionable character and who is going to be unfaithful, who's already proved herself to be unfaithful and even previously he has these three children, one meaning judgment, being scattered, not loved, and not my people. But look at verse 10, the first word there, and it starts off with yet. Yet. The Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited. They will appoint one leader, will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. See how it, how it completely turns around? Yet, yeah, that word... Yet, even though they departed from the Lord, even though you know, they would reap the consequences of their lives and decisions, he says, yet, I'm going to do something with the people of Israel. Yet, things are going to turn around. And all three of these situations would be turned around that God would gather the people. See where it says they would be reunited, they would be gathered, that they would be loved, that they would be his people. And not only his people, but his family. He calls them sons of the living God. God is in the business of turning things around. And when God does something like that, it's incredible. Now, at some point in time, Hosea's wife departs. And she goes out and is unfaithful. She goes out and she is unfaithful uh, with another man. And you ask the question, does it break his heart? Of course it does. It breaks his heart very deeply. And he's in the middle of this situation, and this is a real-life situation. And, and, and those of you who have been through these kinds of things in your family, you know it's, a, it's, it's incredibly painful. And, and what this man, Jose, had to go through, what God was taking him through, would be a message that would, would even speak to us today. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. 
says there, rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, I'm not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face, the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I'll strip her naked and make her as bare as the day on, on the day she was born. I'll make her like a desert, turn into her, her into a parched land, slay her with thirst. Jump down to um, verse 5, the middle of verse 5. It says, she said, I will go after my lovers. And give, who give me my food and my, my water, my wool, my linen, my oil, and my drink. She says, I will go after my lovers. I will go after someone else. Not my husband. Not the one who is taking care of me. And, and I'm going to go after others. Departing. Therefore the Lord says, I will block her path with thorn bushes. Verse 6. I will wall her in so she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. And then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first. For then I was better off than now. Her path is blocked. She thinks of going back. It doesn't appear that she does this on her own, however. But I think it's certainly true that the grass seems greener on the other side and, and then she gets out there and realizes that it's not so good out there as she thought it would be. She says, well, maybe I'll go back. I was better off before, before I ever went out there. I'll, I'll go back. Verse 9 through 13. We'll jump down to verse 13. She has gone after, it says there in verse 13, I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the bowels. She decked herself with rings and jewelry, went after her lovers, but me, she forgot, declares the Lord. Me, she forgot. She went after her lovers. She went after the things of, of uh, the earth, the things of the world. But me, she forgot, declares the Lord. This is, again, we see the picture of Hosea's wife literally going out. But it's really a picture as well of the nation of Israel that they left the Lord behind. Me, she, the nation of Israel, forgot, declares the Lord. Could be the end of the story, right? Could be the end. But it's not the end, and we're so thankful that it's not the end because how many times have you and I done that? And James talks about it. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know? The friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That, that we go and we, we put our attention, our affection, our love, our, our adoration on the things of this world, the things of this earth. But God didn't stop, you see. Again, the, the theme of God's unrelenting love. These are, these are some of my most favorite verses uh, in the Old Testament and, and certainly in this book of Hosea, verses 14 through 15. It, 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 again, it's that yet. They went out and chased after other things. Yet. Yet. The grace of God and the mercy of God. Verse 14, therefore, God says... I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her back her vineyards 
It will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. See that? God did not give up on the nation of Israel. And God does not give up on you and on me. She did not deserve his love, certainly. We're going to see what happens in, a, in just a couple of minutes with Hosea and, and, and him and his wife, how they are reunited. But notice here it says that, that God says, I'm going to allure her. Another, uh, another way you could describe that as, as someone has is to woo her. Warren Wearsby said this, says that God doesn't try to force his people to love him. Instead, he allures them as a lover woos his beloved, seeking her hand in marriage. See that? God didn't say, you, you're going to love me. No, he, he, he reached out to them. He called them in love. He says, I'll lead her into the desert. I'll speak tenderly to her. I'll give her back her vineyards. And, and, but this second part of that verse, he says, I'll make the valley of Achor a door of what? Of hope. Now, the Valley of Achor, you can read about that. We've studied it and we looked at it before. But the Valley of Achor goes back to the place where Achan stole from God and brought defeat on the nation of Israel. And you read about it in, in the book of Joshua, chapter 7. A very painful time, very troubled time. But he says, I'm going to make the Valley of Achor a door of hope. The terrible things that have happened in the nation of Israel, even the terrible things that can happen, the troubling things that can happen in our lives, where God can turn them around to make them a door of hope. Only God can do that. That's why I like that song we sing. You know, he makes something beautiful out of us. He makes something beautiful out of the dust. He can make something out of you. No matter where you've been, no matter what's happened, no matter what's been done. Isn't it true that we get ourselves into some pretty, pretty deep valleys sometimes? Isn't that true that we sometimes find ourselves in places where we say, how did I get here? The nation of Israel, like, they were like that. They would, you know, they would be worshiping God and then it wouldn't be long and they were now out worshiping every, everything and anything else except the true and living God. Solomon said nothing new under the sun, right? And no, nothing changed from then till now. We're the same. We get tempted. We get, you know, pulled away after the things of the world. Yet, yet, God will bring us back. God brought her back. God led her. He wooed her. He, he called to her. He spoke tenderly to her. And God is speaking tenderly to us calling us back as well. He's not going to force us to turn back to Him, but He's going to draw us and call us. And notice there it says that He makes this Valley of Achor a door of hope, but also that it says there she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt, referring back to the Exodus. There she will sing. I don't know about you, but when I'm in places that I shouldn't be, there's not much of a song happening there. But when, when, when God restores and, and fills us anew, there's a song. There's a song that just comes out. There 
you will sing as in the days of your youth. What God can do. Incredible. What a beautiful picture. Can you see the picture here? Look at verse 16. He says, In that day, declares the Lord, you will, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the bowels from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked in that day. I will make a covenant for them. With the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. You see the turnaround there? You see the change that happens and you see the kind of language that God is using here uh, that, that that he is, the bride, he is the bridegroom and we are the bride. This is what we read about in the New Testament. We are the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. That we would be betrothed to him in righteousness and justice and love, compassion. This is our God forgiving, loving, and restoring. In terms of the nation of Israel and in terms of this, this gal that Hosea had married, were they deserving? Of this kind of love? Normally you would say, listen, if you don't want me, that's it. It's all over. We're done. But God says, you know, it's not done. And I still love you. And, I, and I'm going to betroth you to myself. And, and, and we read about the wedding supper of the Lamb. Where one day we're going to have that feast. And it's going to be spread out. And you and I are going to be betrothed despite our, our failings. Despite even our wanderings and our, and our unfaithfulness to the Lord. Look at verse 21. He says, In that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies. And they will respond to the earth. The earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and oil. They will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. And I will say to those called not my people, You are my people. And they will say, You are my God. Again, repeated. Finally, let's look at chapter 3. It's very short, only five verses there. This kind of puts it all together and and see what God asks him to do. The Lord said to me, Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, go. He said it in chapter 1. He wanted him to go and marry this woman. He says, go and show your love to your wife again. Though she's loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Wow. Look at that. Now, do you think that was an easy thing for Hosea to do? He could have said, listen, God, I told, you know, when you first asked me to go and marry this gal, I could have told you something like this was going to happen. And sometimes we do that with God, too. Listen, I, I tried to warn you, God, when you told me that I should get involved in this or that, or I was just trying to follow you and look what happens. And he says, though, I want you to go and show your love to your wife again. That was not an easy thing for Hosea to do. I'm, sure, I'm certain of that. But look what he says, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, even though they turn to other gods. 
Even though you and I turn to other gods and other things, the Lord loves us, doesn't give up on us, takes us back to himself. You see what I mean now when I said that the the message of Hosea was wrapped up in his very life and what God had called him to do and what God had called him to be. And and I think think it is certainly true in our own lives that, that... Really, the gospel isn't just a message that, of words that come out of our mind. It's got to come out of our lives and even, even the, the difficult times in our lives that we have to face. Love her like I love. Verse 2, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley One, one man said this, that Hosea chapter 3 is the greatest chapter in all the Bible because of what happens right here in, chapter, in verse 2. What do we see? What does that remind you of? What does, what does that make you think of? Exactly. Jesus paying for us. The redemption. He bought us back out of sin, out of slavery. So I bought her back, and the Lord bought us back. Peter, again, says that we were redeemed, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. We were redeemed. We were bought back. Fifteen shekels of silver. Then I told her, verse 3, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. That's kind of interesting, but, but really what I saw in that is that, that it reminded me of the New Testament where Jesus you know, forgave the woman, but he said, go and sin no more. You know, it's not, you know, the grace of God is always there for us, always there available to bring us back, but we can't take advantage of it. We can't abuse the grace of God. And, and when God brings us back, we need to do everything we can to live for him and to do the right thing. Take a new direction. Live for him and only for him. Finally, verses 4 and 5, for the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. And afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. The future looks very bright, but it involved those things there, returning and seeking the Lord. God's love is never stopped. It is unrelenting. We may wander, we may turn away, but God is always calling us back. Again, Warren Wiersbe speaking about this book, he says that the key word is return, and it's and it's used 22 times in Hosea's prophecy. 22 times. That's a lot in one of these small books. He said, when Israel repents and returns to the Lord, then the Lord will return to bless Israel. Return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Hosea. 
Most of you have never read it before, but this is what it's about. God's love is unrelenting. So where are you today, I wonder? Do you know that you're loved by God? Do you know that you're one of His own? Is He gathering you, calling you? Or maybe we need to return and seek His face. Maybe we've wandered out somewhere where we really shouldn't be and we need to return and seek His face. Today's a good day. Maybe at some point in time we're going to be thinking about this and, 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 and God is going to be wooing us and calling us back as He did the nation of Israel and make that valley of Achor a door of hope and there we'll sing. He's going to speak tenderly to you and call you by name. One person said this, God's love for Israel and us would not permit him to give up on them in spite of their lack of knowledge and unfaithfulness. Hope for Israel's future lay in their repentance and God's forgiveness and love that made him willing to restore their relationship. And one more quote before we pray. James Montgomery Boyce from Philadelphia, who was a pastor there for many years. He said, For what is the story of Hosea if it is not the story of ourselves, of that body which is the bride of Christ? He says, We are Gomer, and God is Hosea. He married us when we were unclean. He knew that we would prove unfaithful again and again. He knew that we would forsake him still. He loved us and purchased us to himself through Christ's atonement. We are Gomer. I was joking about that. Who would want to marry somebody named Gomer? But the truth is, that's what God did. He, he took us to be his very own. And we are Gomer. Just look around, you'll see what I mean. But God is Hosea, and God is... And got an unrelenting love that just does not stop, no matter what. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us and your love never fails. We sing about it. We read in this book, in this little book of the Minor Prophets, about this guy Hosea, and he had to live it. He didn't have to just hear about it. He had to live it. And he had to reach out to that woman again and, and see the power of God to make something that wasn't there. To turn that valley of trouble, the valley of acorn, into a door of hope. Only God can do that. God, only you can do that in our lives. Take these troublesome times, these difficult times, even, even though uh, so many times we've gotten there on our own um, volition, our own will, we, we find ourselves in places we shouldn't be, and yet you're calling us back, you're wooing us back to, to that place of, of relationship with you. We are Gomer, and you are Hosea, and you are calling us back. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, your son, you bought us, you redeemed us. Father, I pray that each one of us would, 
would be stirred to uh, return and seek your face. Even if we think we're in a good place, we're probably not as good as we think we are. We probably still need to, to uh, turn away from something and someone, some situation and turn towards you and seek your face. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you, your word says. Father, uh, speak to our hearts, God, by your word. Every word is profitable. Every word is true. Every word is living, active, dynamic. I pray, God, that you'd speak to us through your word. I pray if there be any here this morning, Lord, who needs to turn, return to you, that, that today they would say right now in their hearts, God, I come back to you. I come to you right now. Thank you that your love is unrelenting for me. I don't deserve it. I do not deserve it. That you simply turn to him. Don't, don't wait. And maybe some of you, some of you are lost and, and you have not given your hearts to Jesus Christ, the king who paid the price for you because he loved you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life, and we simply trust him and believe in him. That's what you need to do today. Don't, don't leave this place without acknowledging your need of Jesus as Savior and call upon his name right now, right here now, right, right here, right now. Call upon the name of Jesus. Be my Savior. Be my King. God, thank you again for all that you're doing for us. Thank you for all that you're doing in us. We pray that you'd, you'd address those issues and problems and troubles and trials and sickness and all the things that we face in this life, but may we keep our eyes on you through it all. For you are our great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.